This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Treat, a premium new health and wellness brand dedicated to safe travel, providing access to virtual care, content, and records in one app. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Francis Steed Sellers, a senior writer here at the Washington Post. Believe it or not, next week is Thanksgiving and millions of Americans will be traveling from next week through the new year. Here to tell us what the next couple of months may look like, as well as what that means for the travel industry overall, is Priceline CEO, Brett Keller. Brett, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Francis. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'd like to start by asking you about a Deloitte survey, which suggested that more than 40% of Americans will be traveling through the holidays. Is that what you're seeing at Priceline? Yes, it's very consistent with what we've seen. You know, we polled a number of consumers ourselves over the last couple of weeks and have found that even more than that may be traveling as we get into the holidays as you spread it across, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And we expect it to be very busy and even potentially a bit frenetic at times as you know, U.S. travelers really try to navigate uh, the, the new demands that come with uh, many of the challenges and stresses that are happening within the industry today. So how does that compare with last year when we were really in the middle of COVID and also looking back at 2019, what trends are you seeing for these, this period of holiday travel? Sure. You know, if you look at the data, we find that hotels on average last year were running roughly 40 to 50% down as to where they were in 2019 and flights in particular, even more so down almost 70% a year ago. As we come into this holiday period, especially for leisure travel, we see that hotels have largely recovered to 2019 levels. Flights still not quite recovering, but the majority of that is due to business travel. And so if you really look at what's happening in the leisure space and during heavy leisure demand periods like Thanksgiving and the uh, end of year holidays, you'll see that really travel has essentially rebounded to 2019 levels and in certain destinations, even busier. And so the stress that obviously puts on hotels who are trying to restaff on uh, airlines who are trying to deal with uh, rebuilding up their uh, seat supply as well. It's, it's going to be a bit crazy this year. So I'd like to ask you a little bit more about business travel because you know we've learned how to do our meetings on Zoom. Um, coming right off COP, of course, there are questions about whether companies are more conscious of their carbon foot, foot, footprints. Do you see numbers going up again on business travel or is it too early to tell? No, business travel is beginning to rebound, and we are seeing uh, some of that return at this point. The challenges, of course, is that we're still not seeing many of the major conventions uh, taking place around the country while those are starting to return. The attendance has been very light, and we're obviously seeing a pickup in major metropolitan cities like uh, New York and Chicago. Uh, in fact, if you look back, you know, 2020, around this time frame, uh, people were not going to the larger cities. That is changing, both from a leisure and a business perspective. But I think on the business side, we're still probably a couple of years away from a recovery that would put us back to 2019 levels. Hmm. And you refer to the extra stresses and uh, um uh, apps and other things we have to deal with. I just got off a flight on Saturday from uh, London and going over and coming back, I had very different experiences um, in terms of testing and apps and all the other things I needed to do. What burden logistically does this put on airlines and also um, on passengers with this new uh, set of regulations and the anxiety it brings with it? Yeah, absolutely. If you're traveling overseas, 
you really need to be careful about what your destination is asking you to do. And it varies based on where you're traveling. Some destinations may ask only for a test. Others may want to see uh, the fact that you have full coverage travel insurance in place. And some countries are asking you to actually put this into a specific app or upload it to a certain website ahead of your travel. And then the stress on the airlines, many of them have to confirm that this is in place and that the approval process is uh, there before you can actually board the flight and depart in, in either direction. So that's why for the past year, you know, many Americans have chosen to stay uh, domestic and travel domestically. And they're heading to well-known markets like Las Vegas, like Florida, like California, to take advantage of really, you know, a really nice destination with lower price points and without the burden of uh, international flights. Many Americans in the recent past couple of months have chosen to travel outside of the U.S. borders, but stay pretty close. This is really more about near border travel. So they're going to Mexico, they're going to the Caribbean, uh, they're traveling uh, to destinations that are very friendly to U.S. travelers that provide the type of relaxation and sunshine that they're looking for, but not the kind of stress that might be required to now travel to Europe and even Asia, which is you know, well behind the curve in terms of recovery. Talk to me a little bit more about the impact on hotels. If we are seeing a lot more leisure travel, I assume hotels are booking up at weekends, possibly less during the week. How are they adjusting to that sort of um, adjustment of people's needs and requirements? Yeah, you know, I think the hotels were a little surprised this summer at how fast leisure travel returned. They still have a deficit on the business side. So travelers are not really filling up the hotels on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays but they are seeing the business flow in over the weekends in some cases and in many and many popular destinations well over what they were seeing in 2019. So they're trying to balance that dynamic of strong leisure demand returning with weak business during the weekdays. And that of course plays havoc with their staffing concerns. Not to mention, uh, we've all read in the press about the uh, inflation pressures that are out there and Hyatt recently cited you know, a data point that their labor costs on average are up 10 to 20%. And so they're not staffing at the type of speed that I think leisure travelers would expect as they show up at hotels. And so that puts pressure on the services that you can expect when you're staying at a hotel. They're trying to catch up. They're trying to train new staff, but they had to let go of so many people a year and a half ago at the start of this uh, pandemic that they really are trying now to rebuild the staff and to have the infrastructure in place to support the level of travel that is happening. So your rooms aren't going to be turned quite as often as you'd like, uh, your front desk calls will take longer to answer, et cetera. So as a traveler, you just need to expect that that will likely be the case as you walk into a hotel at really any star level or class category. So let's talk again about hotels with regard to, uh, to the upcoming holidays. It seems as if people have sure. been booking very early. Is that what you're seeing? And are only very high priced rooms left? Well, it depends on the destination. You know, consumers have become accustomed over the last year to booking everything very last minute because they didn't know what was going to happen. If they would actually be able to get on a flight, if a city was going to allow, actually allow them to enter the city without quarantine restrictions. Largely across the U.S., that's now uh, not an issue and a concern and people can travel freely from state to state. And so what that has led to, of course, is people, um, you know, filling up some of these top markets and that's become a challenge again for the hotels to, to deal with that. So I think as we move into the holiday periods in particular, you will see some of these strong leisure destinations uh, create some of these issues and challenges due to uh, high levels of, of occupancy at top hotels. But it doesn't mean that you can only find 
uh, availability at four and five star properties. There is availability in all star categories, but it is under a lot more pressure than it was. Average occupancy rates have been running somewhere in the 60s. In a really healthy economy, they're going to be closer to the 70s. As we get into the holiday, we'll likely see occupancy levels near that level. So we're getting the holidays just after the US opened to European travelers, and there's increased cross-border travel as well with uh, Mexico and Canada. You know, my husband happened to fly in last Monday from Heathrow. It was heaving um, as people sort of flooded to get together with relatives at this time of the year. Is the travel industry able to adapt quickly enough, given these, not just the holidays, but this, the other impact of changing COVID or relaxation of COVID rules? Yeah, you know, the, the border openings was a very sudden and rapid change for the industry. Not only were the you know, Canadian and Mexican borders open, but also we now opened roughly half of the countries that were shut down a year and a half about, about a year ago, actually, that prevented travel from coming into the US. And so what's happening now is the airlines are scrambling very quickly to take advantage of a strong demand of inflow from outside of uh, US borders. You know, a typical year, we're going to see somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 million people coming in from outside of the US into our market here. But I think this year we'll likely see, you know, somewhere in the, you know, 60% down from that number. Uh, next year, that'll probably get up to the 40 or 50%. And then following that, we'll see recovery probably by 2024. So the challenge, though, of course, is the airlines can't build a supply up fast enough to uh, counter that strong demand surge. So during the pandemic, we saw so many layoffs across many, many industries. And now we're starting to see people rehiring. Again, there's this onslaught of travel coming up in the next few months. Can they rehire quickly enough? And are there innovative methods that they are using to keep staff during this very busy time of the year? Well, I think the first step they've taken is, of course, to increase salary. That's the fastest and easiest, but has the most pressure on their bottom line. And so what you're seeing as a result is an increase in the average daily rate that hotels are charging to consumers to keep up with this cost increase. And the demand has been so good in some markets that they're able to raise room rates back to, if not above, 2019 levels. And so what that's doing to consumers is it's pressuring consumers to do things to find deals in the travel space. And obviously that's what Priceline's uh, ecosystem was built for, is to help people to find you know, better priced solutions for their travel. And so consumers are doing a number of things to save money as they're trying to travel. One, on the flight side, they're mixing and matching flights, right? This is something that online travel services, especially Priceline, is very good at. You may fly out on one airline, fly back on another. That helps to bring your pricing down. Many consumers, and this has been a surprise to us at Priceline, is they are really leaning heavily into dynamic packaging, much more so than in the past. Our thought was coming into a pandemic that that would actually decrease because consumers are less willing to book multiple items at the same time. But what we're learning is that this is one of the best ways for consumers to save money. And so they're using dynamic packaging as a means to bring the average price point down. Because as hotel pricing increases, uh, consumers are feeling that in their wallet. And of course, with prices going up in all other parts of their lives and commodities in um, you know housing etc uh, travel is not an area where they want to cut back they want to travel more and so they're going to find ways to save money in that space 
I think people have also recognised not only do they want to travel more, but they need flexibility. We don't know what's going to happen with COVID this winter. People's family arrangements change. It may not be possible to visit people again. Are people willing to pay for flexibility? And are there companies that are making flexibility a high priority in in bookings? Yeah, I would say just about every forward-thinking online travel uh, company at the time, at this moment, is thinking about flexibility and how to make that more open to consumers. And so that comes in the form of insurance products, for example. Uh, Priceline offers insurance for all of the products that we sell today and gives consumers a chance to protect themselves in case they have to deal with travel disruptions, sickness, et cetera, that uh, that might impact their ability to travel. Uh, In addition, consumers are looking and booking more uh, cancelable products, much more so in the past. And the airlines have been very friendly with this. Uh, Certainly over the last year, they have allowed consumers to cancel and make changes to their flights without incurring change fees. You know, in the past, you're going to pay $100 or $150, depending on the airline, to change a ticket. And that was very burdensome, and most people avoided that by not making changes. But today, that's no longer the case. And most airlines will now allow you to make changes to your ticket without having a change fee imposed. And so that obviously has been uh, very helpful for consumers, but very stressful for airlines and airline operations, and even online travel agencies like ourselves, to deal with the amount of change that's coming in as consumers are looking to change uh, their travel. You talked a little earlier about inflation, which is I think at a 31 year high at the moment. Um, It's pushed up hotel prices, um, rental car prices have shot up. Can you talk to us about what impact you're seeing that has on the way people choose to travel and what decisions they're making? Sure. Well, I think on the hotel side, and this was evident even earlier on in the pandemic, people are pushing down in star category. So they are not as likely to stay in a high-end resort, but they still wanna travel. So they're gonna book a nice three-star property. Uh, They may fly less and drive more to avoid the cost of flight. Rental cars is unfortunately an area that is under a lot of pressure due to a lack of inventory in the space. And so car rental companies cannot get enough inventory to satisfy the demand. And so that's leading to higher prices for consumers. And so consumers are trying to get around that by finding rental cars, uh, not just picked up at the airport, but perhaps looking for cars that can be picked up off airport or from other providers that typically they wouldn't be renting from. That's one alternative that they are looking for. When they go to actually book accommodations, however, that's one that's tough to get around. Uh, Most folks don't want to lower the star class or category that they're used to booking, but they're doing that. But in addition, they're looking for products that can get them access to deeper discounts. And online travel agencies, including Priceline, Um, we offer this opportunity to come in and find discounts on properties that you can't find in other locations. We have a product, for example, called Express Deals. You give up a little bit of uh, flexibility in what you're booking, but at the end of the day, you can see some significant savings and consumers are looking for products like that to help them really afford travel. And part of the trend that we're seeing, and this is more about the future of how people will travel, is people are traveling a lot more they're not taking the same number of trips. They're actually taking more trips because they're taking shorter stays, shorter trips, more local, regional travel. And this is enabling them to get out more and experience uh, things here in the country. So some very interesting trends are shaping up that I think will lead to a very healthy travel uh, economy as we get past the next year or two here. But it's going to be bumpy as, as the uh, suppliers try to rebound from that. So I know that um, flight prices are going up right now, but in fact, airlines seem to have resisted infl- inflation so far. Why is that? 
what's been different about airlines from rental cars and hotels? Yeah, it's a good point because we've noticed obviously that trend uh, and that's happened for months now. We've seen that the flight business or the airline business has trailed hotel and rental car in terms of raising prices. Now, part of that, of course, is business travel is not part of the mix. And with business travel, they're able to sell a lot more high priced business class seats and tickets. And <clears throat> many of the airlines have decided to actually pull some of that inventory out of the market and to cater more towards leisure travelers. And by doing so, that lowers the average retail price that consumers are paying. Over time, we'll see flight prices continue to uh, increase as business travel recovers, as convention travel recovers, you will see that the average price for flights will continue to increase. Uh, but there are still some nice discounts out there on the flight side. You know, flights into New York. New York is one of the most affordable cities to fly to uh, right now over the holiday period. And I think a lot of consumers will take advantage of that um, because of that, uh, that current state. So the price of gas, of course, is at, I think, a seven-year high at the moment. Does that have a direct impact on how people travel? Are you seeing that in uh, where people are booking and how they're getting there? You know, we have historically, but I would say that looking at this upcoming holiday period, I wouldn't say that seems to be a factor. I think people want to travel. They want to see family and friends. They want to spend time with them. They didn't get that opportunity last year. And uh, they have a lot more PTO or paid time off to use. You know, consumers around the country uh, have a lot of time off that has not been used, and they are using that time off as they approach the end of the year. Uh, many consumers are also extending the length of their trip. This is a trend that we've seen recently where consumers will book a trip, and before actually leaving, they'll add room nights to their stay to extend the trip. And they're doing that because obviously the work-life balance is giving them more flexibility in how they arrange travel and where they work. So you talked a little bit about the future of travel, and I'd love you to think big and to post-pandemic days and draw out some of the trends you see now and tell me, what can we expect in five to 10 years? Again, you know, pandemics are disruptors, emergencies disruptors. What do you think is going to lie in our future? Well, I think you're going to see a number of technologies that are built out to try and minimize disruption in the travel space, right? We all know the minute we leave our house and we get in a car, there's going to be disruption with travel to the airport. There'll be disruption with flights uh, in trying to get to the destination, either due to weather or uh, mechanical equipment failures, et cetera. Even more so now, we're seeing that airlines can't get staff in the right place quickly enough to address all of the changes that come from uh, weather disruption. So I think we're going to see a lot of technology built to make that much easier, to streamline the experience, to enable consumers to have more power in making changes real time, last minute, as they're moving through the travel experience to deal with that type of, of pressure. Clearly, consumers are going to expect uh, very dynamic travel services. So an ability to come in and say, listen, I wanna fly to this city, I wanna stay there for three days, I'm then going to drive to another city, I might stay there for a couple of weeks, and then I'm gonna to go to uh, and, and get a vacation rental home for the next month, and then fly home from there. And they're going to look for services that can easily enable that type of a transaction at the same time, rather than doing it piecemeal, which is very time consuming. You don't see the kind of discounts that you want when you break it up into piecemeal. And the technology needs to continue to evolve to do that. And that's an area we've been investing in significantly and have provided that to our consumers to enable that type of behavior for the future, because that is what's happening with how leisure travel is taking place today.
So power to the consumers, I guess. Brett Keller, thank you so much for joining me at Washington Post Live. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll be back in a few minutes with the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, Sarah Nelson. Stay with us. The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post newsroom was not involved in the production of this content. Hello, I'm Ruth Umo, Editor-in-Chief of The Filaments, and today I'm joined by Doug Satsman, CEO of the global airport wellness provider Express Spa Group, which is launching a new travel health and wellness brand, Treat. We'll discuss the trends shaping the future of travel, a sector that is poised for a major recovery in a post-pandemic world. Welcome, Doug, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ruth. Absolutely. Well, Doug, given the upcoming holiday season, I can't think of a better time to be having this discussion as people look to reunite with both friends and family members alike. With that in mind, what do you see as the near-term future of travel? And more importantly, what is missing from the current air travel experience in a post-COVID world? Well, the past two years have exposed a general lack of acute care uh, and general wellness offering for the traveler, uh, both before and during travel. We see this as a massive opportunity um, in airports and for travelers, uh, and especially uh, on site in airports, but even uh, virtually with you as you travel. Um, COVID testing and other infectious disease testing, we think will probably be part of travel for a while. Uh, anxiety was an issue for some people pre pandemic, uh, but now it's uh, uh, travel anxieties uh, even higher. Um, there's been a return of travel uh, with the leisure, a lot of uh, uh, bucket list vacations, uh, and the business traveler is going to start coming back. Um, but we want to make sure when we come back to travel, we're doing it safely and responsibly and, and confidently. Um, and that's where, uh, in the long term, the peace of mind of traveling with a doctor in your pocket we think uh, is going to be an important part of travel in the future. Yeah, well, to your point about safety, Doug, experts are still cautiously optimistic about COVID and understandably so. And there are obviously still guardrails in place when traveling, especially internationally. With that in mind, what are the benefits of using the TREAT app for current or for future travels? Well, it's a very useful tool. We just launched it in August, uh, and uh, we've been adding more functionality ever since. Uh, it gives you access to on-demand care. So in short, uh, no, no appointments are needed, no, uh, no insurance is needed. So immediately, you can pull up your app and start talking to a board-certified U.S. doctor uh, instantly, and it can elevate to check care, you know, should you and the provider think it's helpful. Um, there's uh, other functionality like a vaccination. When, when you get your vaccination, you can carry a card or you might have uh, one app. You get your vaccine, your COVID test, it's handled differently. We've incorporated a health wallet where it's all kept in one place. And today we also have a travel uh, COVID uh, database where you can check uh, and find out requirements for uh, COVID when you're traveling to other countries. So today you have to go to multiple places. Um, on the internet or, or multiple apps. And here you can have it all in one place. Um, you know, and then the care, virtual care is a no brainer to be able to travel and have instant access. So you're traveling somewhere in the middle of the night, you're having an issue. 
to be able to get online with a doctor uh, 24-7 immediately is uh, is another uh, thing that I think travelers and people in general will expect to have as part of their healthcare regimen in the future. Yeah. Well, quite a number of useful functions uh, on a very comprehensive platform in an effort to create a seamless travel experience. How then does Tree partner with or supplement other amenities that are available for travelers? Well, Treat is unique in that it fits squarely in the intersection of travel, health, and wellness. So not only will you have the app uh, in, in our, our website where you can use it for pre-travel planning, but you can also uh, use it when you are traveling. And then when you're in the airport, you need a COVID test or a flu shot, or you wanna come in and use a wellness room in one of our wellness centers, uh, you'll have access to do yoga, fitness, in private rooms, even guided meditations uh, that helps with anxiety and also provides alternatives in travel than just eating and drinking or, or shopping while you're waiting for your next flight. Um, we're partnering with uh, in discussions with airlines and major credit card companies. They're looking at this as a benefit for their best customers uh, when, they're, when they're traveling and even when they're not traveling to have access to the suite of services. And what's very clear in a post-pandemic world you're going to have more and more demand for services like this to be incorporated at airports and for people uh, on the go. Yeah, well, I don't doubt that the demand is there. And with lifted COVID-19 restrictions, airports are expected to be bustling with travelers once more. And so navigating that in both a safe and facile manner will certainly be front of mind for many, many travelers. Doug, thank you again for joining us. And now I'll turn things back over to The Washington Post. And now back to Washington Post Live. Hello and welcome back. For those of you just joining us, I'm Frances Steedsell as a senior writer here at The Washington Post. Uh, We're going to continue our program by talking to the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, Sarah Nelson. Sarah, a very warm welcome back to Washington Post Live. Thank you so much, Frances. Nice to be here. Well, we heard in the intro, and I know you you have said talk before about the hit the airlines took um, over the past year, but now... Passengers seem to be ready to get back on board. Many of the borders have opened and uh, passengers are flying, flooding in from overseas. Are the airlines ready? <laughs> well, we're about as ready as we can be. So that demand uh, did drop and capacity got pulled down. We did a really good job together, though. The unions and the industry worked together and got something that no other industry did. And that was the payroll support program and the COVID relief that kept us in our jobs, connected to our health care, getting paychecks, uh, paying our taxes uh, and contributing back into the system. But also it kept us with our credentials and able to be able to meet the demand that is coming slamming back into our industry. Now, I want to be really clear, though. Prior to COVID, all industries increased productivity. And we saw this after the bankruptcies that were followed on from 9-11. And so as pay was cut and pensions were cut and there were other cuts in those bankruptcies, workers were willing to work more. So there were a lot of overtime hours. And now in this COVID era, some of the workers are not able to work as many hours as they were before. People are getting sick more often or they're being more uh, cautious about going to work sick. They are experiencing really difficult conditions on board the aircraft with a lot of disruptive passengers. And 
that can really take a toll. So people are less likely to pick up that extra trip. And that's where you're seeing some of the staffing shortages is that this is a result of making that productivity so high that airlines have to count on those overtime hours in order to make the airline work and using that forecasting for this time. So airlines are starting to recognize that they're going to have to put some incentives in place in order to make sure that people have that extra incentive to come to work over the holidays. And I think they're doing some good preparation on that. And we're going to have a better holiday than people might have been predicting. So I've seen some of the incentives include um, miles and things like that. Other innovative ways that airlines are thinking of keeping people happy in order to work through this holiday period? Well, miles are one thing, but the most effective form is just more pay. And so we're seeing anywhere between 150% to 300% extra pay for uh, picking up those extra, extra trips over the holiday period. And some of the contracts have this uh, already Im implanted in them. For example, the United Airlines contract uh, that is an, a, a contract that we negotiated has the ability for airlines in a time of critical coverage to offer um, an, an extra uh, benefit to people to come to work. So those financial incentives are very important. They work very well. They're not the be all end all, but we should see uh, that people have a real incentive to come to work over the holidays. So your union, I believe, has supported the vaccine mandate. Have you had much pushback from flight attendants over that issue? Well, look, our, we are first and foremost uh, safety professionals, and we have uh, pushed the industry and pushed the government to be safe in our workplace, to have a lot of safety protocols in our workplace. Our union is not the one to put mandates in place, but our role as a union is to negotiate how they are put into place to make sure that it is fair and equitable, uh, to make sure that people have access to that, and to make sure that they're supported with policies like um, supportive sick leave policies. And we have done that. We negotiated incentives for people to be able to get the vaccine, and then we were able to focus on the remaining people who were a much smaller number to get them good information, to make good decisions for themselves. And ultimately, we're going to be on the right side of history here because we need to end this pandemic. And the way to do that is to get the vaccination rate high around the world uh, so that we're not allowing that virus to continue to exist and mutate beyond uh, the vaccines that exist today. In another interview, I saw you had a message for passengers, and I think it was, pack your patience. Um, tell <laughs> us about that. How are you seeing passengers react to uh, the new constraints and changes and also heightened anxiety about travel, not only because of COVID, but because so much is at stake in seeing relatives many of us hasn't seen for two years? Yes, there's a lot going on, a lot of incentive to travel. People want to see their loved ones. They want to get back out. They want to get together. And we're all about bringing people together, not tearing them apart. So um, we often will see as flight attendants uh, the tip of the sphere of anything that's going on socially or politically in the country. And of course, for the last couple of years, people have been told very different things about this pandemic, about how we should respond to it, what sort of safety protocols we have to have in place to keep everyone safe. And flight attendants have been charged with enforcing those safety protocols. So some people who have been told that this is an infringement on their personal liberties um, have pushed back, even though when they bought that ticket, they acknowledged that they would follow the rules. And when they checked in for the flight, they acknowledged that they would follow those rules. But you're right to also recognize that anxiety is very high. It's high because um, people are doing something that they haven't done for a long time. That's often very hard on the public. 
Uh, it's also hard when people have been kept in the state of not knowing where we are, what's going to happen next month, um, of not having uh, a process that's familiar to them. That can be very difficult. And so we have encouraged people when we say pack your patients, that means come to the airport a little bit early. Don't add the rush uh, to your stress level that's probably already going to exist. And put yourself in a position where you can be a helper and, and be kind to others. That's going to set a tone that's going to make it better for everyone and definitely better for you. So over the past, past few weeks, we've seen a rash of cancellations and delays with airlines. Should we expect more of that in coming weeks? Or are you really staffed up and ready to go? So we're, we're not staffed up. Let's be really clear. We've had many people leave the profession. The airlines have sort of right-sized for the demands, if you can call it that, in the middle of this uh, 100-year crisis. And um, now we're trying to meet the demand again. Airlines are trying to put that demand back into markets where people want to travel, and they're trying to respond very quickly when normally air, airline forecasting happens about a year out, 18 months out, and they have all kinds of data to look back to in that planning process. So as they're responding to where people want to be traveling, I think that they have learned a lot over the summer and in these fall months, and they have worked with us and negotiated with us on putting incentives in place so that people are willing to pick up a little extra time and make up for the ability that uh, sometimes when there's weather in the airline industry, that compounds, you get crews out of place and it makes things worse and worse. And if you're not willing, and if people aren't willing to uh, volunteer extra hours, the airlines cannot force them to come to work. So I think that we're going to cover that with the planning that has been put in place and the very quick acting to create those incentives. And I think we're probably going to be OK. But remember that it's an airline. And if it's not taking off, that's because it's not safe for that plane to leave the ground. So uh, we all have to remember that. And that's where the patience comes in as well. So you represent more than 50,000 flight attendants, and I think it's 17 different airlines. Tell us, take us behind the scenes a little bit. What's the mood among those flight attendants, given the strains of the past year, both financial and also the risk of taking home uh, illness from their jobs? And how are you managing that? It's been very difficult. Um, this has been an incredibly hard uh, couple of years on flight attendants. Mm -hmm. They have had to go to work, and yet there hasn't necessarily been enough work to do. So we also had the uncertainty with our jobs. Um, we, Congress had uh, last year at this time, there was a lapse in that government funding. So there were people who were on furlough. There was more people who uh, voluntarily uh, didn't go to work in order to save the job of someone else. And um, all of that uh, took its toll. And then we rolled into 2021, where we've had more incidents of disruptive passengers than we have in the entire history of aviation. So flight attendants have been the target of a lot of that anger and strife. And when they put their uniforms on, I'm a 25-year flight attendant. It used to be that it was a really bad day when something bad happened at work, when you had an outburst on a plane. Flight attendants are constantly de-escalating issues and making sure that flights take off and land safely and don't make it onto the evening news. But more and more, we've seen this as a regular occurrence. And that has... Uh, that really chips away at people. It's also the constant bickering and fighting back and questioning whether or not people should follow the rules. And included in that, we hear from our members through a survey that 61% of these incidents include uh, racial, gender, and homophobic slurs. So this is this is really a, a combative mode and a really uh, a, a, a real hostile environment, actually, that people are going to work in. And so as we've been talking about this over the past several months, 
The one thing I would like to say is I want to really thank everyone in the media for getting this story out there, because while we haven't yet stemmed off these events and, and made them uh, grow lower in number, what we have seen is more people stepping up and saying thank you and expressing good thoughts and encouragement and also asking how they can help out when these incidents happen. So I really want to lift up the fact that the vast majority of people are really come to the door of our airplane with kindness in their hearts and a desire to just have a safe, uneventful flight. Do you have specific guidance or training now for flight attendants who are, who are facing this kind of serious misbehavior on flights? Well, I'll be testifying tomorrow uh, before the House uh, Homeland Security Committee and talking about the fact that the crew member self-defense training that was uh, designed just after 9-11, that was supposed to be mandatory, it was supposed to be part of our regular training, has always been a voluntary uh, program. And that was because the airlines bought the cost of adding this training uh, for all of us across the industry. So we continue to encourage uh, the government to put this in place and the airlines to put this in place as part of our mandatory training. That is something that would be a part of our annual training, repetitive training, and our initial training in a more extensive way. It helps flight attendants know how to stand, how to best protect themselves when an attacker comes on suddenly, um, and, and how to also um, stand and, and support themselves to keep people safe and to keep themselves safe in a situation like that. So we continue to promote that. We also continue to uh, promote that DOJ uh, go forward and uh, criminally prosecute very publicly some of the worst bad actors here, uh, send people to jail. We know that when we started fighting the issue of air rage in the late 90s and finally got legislation in place that got these fines and penalties in place in the early 2000s, once those were implemented and started to uh, take effect, and you started to see in the press that someone acting out in an airplane can <laughs> face federal charges and uh, federal felonies and time in jail, that the events went down in the United States when they were continuing to go up around the world. So we know it can serve as a great deterrent, and we're really encouraging DOJ to get to work very quickly on the cases that FAA has handed over and any of the cases that FBI has taken up directly at the airports. Um, so that we can criminally prosecute publicly, put people in jail, and get some sobering up around the country. And talking of deterrence, there are fines as well that the FAA, I believe, has levied over the past year. Do you think they act as a deterrent, and should they be higher? The fines, um, it, the fines are helpful, and we uh, appreciate the FAA uh, taking a zero tolerance policy and. Uh, also prioritizing these issues so that they can investigate the worst occurrences first and, and have those fines levied against people. But um, payment of those fines is often an issue. People don't take that as seriously as the criminal prosecution. So while we encourage FAA to continue to do that and to continue to do what they've been doing so well, putting together PSAs, encouraging airports to show those PSAs in the airports while passengers are waiting to board their flights, a lot of that communicating and repetitive uh, communicating about what the rules are, why they're in place, and what will happen if you don't follow them is very, very helpful. And FAA has done a tremendous job on that. Uh, we continue to encourage them to partner with uh, the other agencies, though, and get those worst cases over to DOJ so that we can really help people understand this is very serious. So apart from this aggressive behavior, there have also been incidents of people seeming to have panic attacks or high anxiety during flights. How are you trained to deal with that sort of tension? I was on a flight last weekend and uh, doctors were called for something of that sort. A colleague of mine was on a flight where there were two calls for doctors during the flight. 
how do you manage this level of stress and anxiety among uh, passengers? Well, I have to tell you that we are trained in immediate actions and flight attendants are first responders uh, for the safety and health of the passengers in our care. We're also the last line of defense in aviation security. So we have those uh, immediate uh, reactions and actions to take uh, when there's a medical emergency. But what we also know and are trained in is that this could be a distraction for something else. So the fact that we are at minimum levels of staffing, we are on high alert. We look out for each other. We look over each other's sh shoulders, um, make sure that there's not something else going on. And we also will typically call for helpers on, helpers on the plane. So if there are other first responders, EMTs, nurses, doctors on the plane, we'll be calling for help there too. And we would ask other passengers, please stand back and uh, step out of the way so that we can attend to these things uh, swiftly and efficiently and get people the space that they need to calm down, um, get the medical attention that they need and feel better. Sarah, we're heading into what looks as if it will be a very busy holiday season and we hope a safe one. Many people haven't traveled by air for the last two years. What advice would you give them about how airline travel may have changed over the past two years? Well, there are some new rules. And so, and, and remember that you can just uh, get a little out of practice when you haven't done something for a while. So mm -hmm. there's some basic things. Make sure that you have all of your documents ready, your ticket, um, your, your vaccine card. It depends on where you're going. You may need some of these things. Um, some states may require a COVID test. Um, and so have your ID and all of those things put together. Pack from an empty bag and look at the TSA website for prohibited items, either in your checked baggage or your carry-on baggage so that you are making sure that you're not inadvertently putting a prohibited item in your bag, slowing yourself down at security or making, <laughs> making you miss your flight um, or slowing everyone else down as well. And um, make sure that uh, you are also packing a protein bar, non-perishable item. Concessions have not come completely back at airports. There's typically long lines. It may be very difficult for you to get food in the airport and service has been cut back on the plane for COVID protocols. So you may wanna have something there just in case you need a little bite to eat and plan that when you hit the door of the uh, airport, you're going to have to have that mask on and you're going to have to have it on uh, throughout the entire airport, throughout the flight and until you depart your uh, destination city. So through the course of all of that, lugging your luggage and everything, sometimes you can get very hot, sometimes it can get a little cold. Whether it's perspiration or condensation, your mask may get a little wet. We encourage you to pack an extra mask so you can always be comfortable and have a dry mask over your face. And as you're eating in the airport or on the airplane, practice dip and sip. So you're dipping your, your mask uh, shortly to take a drink or a sip and replacing it again. And there will be enforcement on that to keep everyone safe. Remember that we're going to have children out there. We're going to have people who have to travel for medical reasons to get medical help and they cannot get the vaccine. Many of the children can't get the vaccine. So because we're all grouped in together, we have to practice some safety protocols in air travel that you don't have to do anywhere else. And that's because we all have to do this together and we have to keep everyone safe. Well, Sarah, that all resonates after I traveled to an airport recently where I had to arrive very early and the concessions were almost all closed. So thank you so much for those pieces of guidance. I'm sorry we have no time for any more today, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.